guys can go and take a seat. We are wrapping up our Gathered Church series today, and so we've been spending the last about eight weeks going step-by-step, step-by-step, and what does it look like to be a church? What is the definition of a church? What kind of church do we want to be, and what are our distinctives as a church? And as we've walked through this series, it's been a series that we as leaders and as elders, honestly, of our church, that we've really wrestled. And uh, Justin has communicated a lot of that wrestling even with you, just in, in vulnerability to, to share, like, hey, here are the things that we're wrestling with. Here are the things that, that we're trying to work through and reconcile together. And we don't have it all figured out. We haven't arrived. We don't know everything. We haven't figured everything out. And so this series is, as I try to wrap a bow on it, we're pointing to the the reality of what are we wanting to accomplish as a church? What are we wanting to see people grow into? What are we wanting to disciple people into? What are we wanting to push people towards? And what does maturity look like? This topic that we have today is equipping. What does it mean for us to equip the saints for the work of ministry that Justin talked about last week and and propel us into union with Christ? What does it look like for us to walk into maturity as a church? This is something that Justin and I um, are extremely passionate about. And it's honestly something that God has planted and birthed in our hearts separately and together. It's the reason that Justin and I are a team together as pastors of Ecclesia in that we are all about equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ into maturity. When Justin was in his residency several years ago when he first moved and was planting the church, He went and visited um, several different churches, and he was in a leadership development program, and the question that he asked every single church when he got in a room with their leaders, when he looked them in the face and said, what does it look like to disciple people into maturity? And he never got a flat answer. There was never a church that said, okay, this is what it looks like. But that was the, the burning passion that he had even in planting Ecclesia. His and I's first convert, maybe second conversation, second conversation where we both left separately and were like, dude, Lord is doing something, we're gonna work together, was all about equipping the saints. What does it look like to equip and mature and disciple people into maturity? How do we do that? And that was the unifying factor of, man, what does it look like to behold Jesus together as a community, and and how do we do that effectively? This is a passion that we have as our church. And as we've talked about communion, and we've talked about baptism, and we've talked about membership, and we've talked about leadership, as we've talked about these things, the Sunday gathering in and of itself, all of these things point to the reality of What does it look like for you and I to walk into maturity, being equipped for every good work? 
I think the, the first question that we need to ask in the idea of equipping is, what are we equipping people for? What, 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 are, we, what are we trying to train people up for? And I would answer the question simply by saying to walk in Christ, to hold fast to Christ, to live in Christ. And that comes from our text, specifically verse 7 today that we're going to center on. Let's read that together. Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We're going to break this text down into these specific sections of, as a tool, as a metric of what does maturity look like? What does equipping look like? How do we measure that in your life? And I want the question that you ask throughout this sermon, but also in ending today, where am I? Where am I in these stages or these metrics? What have I learned? What am I learning? What have I not experienced yet? I want to give you a vision of what maturity looks like, of what we're going after as individuals and as a church. Number one, equipping and maturity looks like as verse 6 starts, receiving Christ Jesus the Lord. The very foundation of what we are discipling, equipping, maturing people into is receiving Jesus. Jesus is a gift. And if there's one thing that I want you to hear and I say it at the beginning because I somewhat have your attention, is that Jesus is precious. Jesus is precious. We never, ever get over receiving Christ. Receiving Christ is the beginning. It's a seed that grows. It's a, as the psalm so so delicately put that we flourish as a tree as Jesus tells parables, but it's, it's a seed that grows that we have to acknowledge and receive and, and, and bow to him as our authority and our king and receive his sacrificial death that he was perfect, the son of God who died on my behalf. Those realities of receiving the good news that Christ is here to deliver you from sin, Satan, and death we have to actively make a choice to receive that. What's prerequisite to that is, I need that. And some are at a point of saying, I don't need Christ. I got it all on my own. I got it figured out. I'm going to work it out on my own. So first and foremost, we have to receive him. As, we read, as Devin read earlier in verse 28, Paul says this, him we proclaim. We don't proclaim a message of you can do it. 
We don't proclaim a message of let's figure it out. We don't proclaim a message of we're going to get better together. We don't proclaim a message of progression that I'm going to get better as I fail forward. No. We proclaim a message of Jesus. His finished work. His complete work. Everything has been done on our behalf, on your behalf, and we receive that in Christ. We never get over Jesus. This is why we started our gathering today. The intention is to behold the Lord Christ. The second Corinthians chapter four says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God who said, light, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We behold Christ. And if there is one thing I know from my own journey and the journey of those whom I've learned from, both dead and alive, it is that it is beholding the face of Jesus that grows us into maturity and that equips us for every good work. There is nothing beyond Christ. There's no learning beyond Christ. The more we learn, the more we are centered and are rooted and understand the facets of the beauty of Jesus. Jesus is the centrality of all that we proclaim and all that we do and all that we grow into. Romans 8 says it this way, that those whom God foreknew he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. What are we being conformed into? The image of the son, Jesus. God predestined them, he foreknew, he justified them, and he glorified those who are his into the image of Jesus. We are not only, well, let me back up. Early Christians were known as people of the book, people of the way. Why? Because the book and the way reveal Jesus Christ. We are not people who are only Bible people. I've been in churches that are just Bible people. And don't behold the face of Jesus and it's heartbreaking. I've been in churches that, that are all about ministries and even outreach and doing different things internally and groups and accountability. We can talk about all those things. Those are great things. But if we're not beholding Jesus, we're for not. It's worthless. It is worthless without Christ. So we receive Christ. No matter where you are in your stage, the question is, how do I receive more of Jesus? Number two, walking in Christ. As our text puts it, therefore, as you received Christ, assuming that it has happened, 
So walk in him. Walk in Christ. Earlier in verse 28, Paul says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. What does it look like to walk in Christ? Okay. Well, let's think about it from a childlike faith or a childlikeness and development of a child. How do children learn to walk? They learn to walk by stumbling quite a bit. They learn to walk by taking that first step and then falling on their butt. I can't do that right now because I have a lot of leg. They would be, you know, hurt. But they have little legs, and how good of God to create children with little legs that when they fall on their booty, it's not that far of a drop. But when they learn to walk, that's a journey, yes? Does it happen overnight? No. Our youngest child, Eden, uh, is doing this thing nowadays where she goes like this. And this is her jump. She's learning to keep her feet under her. She's learning what does it look like to, to walk in life. And what I want to see from verse 28 specifically is what Paul says is what does it, learn, what does it look like to, to walk in Jesus? It takes warning and teaching. Warning and teaching. A lot of us think that, that growth in Christ is a linear journey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go from point A to point B to point C. It's super efficient, really easy, very clear. I love it. But the journey of walking with Jesus actually looks like this. I could be a really good dancer, by the way. My point is that it takes this reality of, of learning, of, of being taught, but also being warned and corrected, being taught and being encouraged, but being warned and corrected, learning. Oh, no, I missed that part. Oh, I like this part. Oh, learning to walk in Christ is a journey that always is growing. I, I see Bill over here, and I, I think about um, Bill's lifetime goal of running uh, a mile in a certain amount of time, which I won't declare because it's pretty impressive, and he wouldn't appreciate it. And, um, and I'm just, I think about him in that journey, and I'm like, man, whether he's still pursuing it or not isn't the case. The idea is learning to run, learning to push your body, learning to, to, to move in that fashion takes work. We never get over walking in Jesus. It's a chaotic journey. When, when Peter in Matthew 16 declared that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the, of the living God, Jesus looked at him and said, blessed are you, Peter, son of Jonah. For if not flesh and blood has revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God has revealed this to you. Way to go. The next sentence Jesus says to Peter is, get behind me, Satan. You do not know the will of God. Oh, wow. I thought I was doing, I thought God revealed something to me. Come on, man. 
it takes warning and correction. It, it, it's, a, it's a chaotic process. And so that's why when Justin asks churches, hey, what does it look like? They're like, dude, when you find an efficient answer, let me know. Because it looks different for everyone. But here are the metrics. Let's go to Second Peter chapter 1. It'll be on your screen, but if you have your Bible, please turn there. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us everything that we need. And God's power, he's granted it to us through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. I'm not gonna spend time in this passage. We're, we're getting to the meat of what I wanna say, but if you want a passage of what does it look like to mature and grow, this is one of the core texts that I would encourage you to study, okay? Very great promises so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. Peter is almost on his deathbed, and he's, he's trying to, to, to communicate to his audience that, what does it look like? What can I impart to you that will help you in your maturing journey, in your equipping journey? And he says, first, faith. Receive Christ. Know Christ. What does it mean to walk in Christ? It means that you grow in virtue and in knowledge. First two things, virtue and knowledge. When we come to Christ, we become new people. The way the Bible talks about it is we get new skin. We get new, oh, get, get a new heart. Our eyes are opened. We become fundamentally different. And as we try that on, it's like putting on a tie for the first time. It's like, uh, I don't know if I like this. But it, it gets getting used to. It gets, it, it takes work. It, it takes practice. And this virtue, another word for it, because virtue is a little bit like, okay, stoic, you know, like, oh, let's be virtuous. Another word for it is holiness. So my question for you is, if you've received Christ and you're learning to walk in Christ, are you growing in holiness? Are you growing in gentleness and love and patience and goodness? faithfulness. Do you know what holy means? Do you know what characteristics that looks like? That's a good place to start. What does it mean to look different in my actual life as following Jesus? I have a new master. Now, can we get legalistic? Anybody I don't know if any of you have experienced legalistic churches where it's all about, hey, you be a virtuous person, and I don't care what's in your heart, but you better do X, Y, and Z and make sure you're good. Can that be exaggerated? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. That's why I said at the beginning, we never get past Jesus. Why do we be virtuous? Because it's growing our faith in him. It's obedience to him. Knowledge. Supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge. Very fundamental question is, do you know the character of God? Do you know the promises of God? Are you growing in those things? None of us here have memorized the Bible. None of us here have know every text that reveals the character and nature and, and action of God. If you want to follow Jesus, get to know him. Know Christ. In Hebrews chapter 5, it talks about those who are immature. Those who should have been more mature than they are. They've been maybe walking with Jesus for a while, but they've kind of stayed stagnant. The number one thing that the author of Hebrews says that they need to do to grow is pursue knowledge. How does he say it? They are unskilled in the word of righteousness. They are unskilled in the word of righteousness. On a scale of one to 10, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause for a minute. On a scale of one to 10, what is your skill in the word of righteousness? One to 10, what's your skill? If we don't know the books of the Bible, if we don't know the major themes, if we don't know the, the, a singular book in and out, how are we skilled in the word of righteousness? This is a great place to continue the journey of knowing Jesus and knowing his word together. So receive Christ. Jesus is a precious gift. Walk in Christ in virtue and knowledge. Be rooted and built up in Christ, as in our text in Colossians chapter 2. Sorry, let me turn there again. My, my skill is being put to the test. How fast can I get there? <laughs> Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith that we proclaim. So rooted and built up, what does it mean to be rooted? We're going to talk about three things of what it means to be rooted and built up in Christ. For those who know how to, how to walk, for those who received Christ, number one, it takes work. Just think about the language, rooted and built. Now, I hate house projects. Hate them. It's almost why I didn't buy a house. I'd rather not do house projects than waste my money. Honestly, I hate them. Why? They take work. They take manual, time, frustrating energy. They never go as planned. I mean, I can keep going. But they're, like, it's rooted. It takes time to develop. It's built. How is it built over time and capacity, okay? It takes work. It takes testing. Testing. How do we know we're rooted and built up in Christ? We're tested, and it takes community. Number one, work. 
what does it mean to be rooted and built up in Christ, okay? Philippians chapter two, it'll be on your screen. Otherwise, let's read it in our in the word together. Philippians chapter two, I wanna give you a picture of how Paul talks about work in the Christian, don't put it on there yet, uh, in, the, in the Christian life. And here's why. We don't like this as followers of Jesus. A lot of times, I, I, it's a wrestle that I have. We, we say, receive Jesus and you're good. You are. But Jesus commands us to live in obedience to him. And is it a tension to say, if I don't work and if I don't obey Jesus, then do I have assurance and am I really following him? And I would say that's up to the Lord. I don't know. But I would have no assurance. Jesus is all sufficient, but he commands us to work. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, Paul's assuming you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We just stop there, that's really scary. Really, really scary. Because Paul is essentially saying, hey, you have faith, work it out. Be scared to death. Tremble before the presence of the Lord. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who gives you the desire to work? Who gives you the energy to work? Who gives you the ability to work? Who gives you the heart to tremble? You? For it is God who works in you. God is cultivating these things in his people to work out their salvation. One of the favorite passages that I had, I was uh, in accounting, worked for a small flooring company and then I worked for a financial advisory firm in their accounting office. And um, it was a time where I was totally, I, I was connected to a church, but um, not, not really strongly. And uh, this is one of the passages that God used to transform me and humble me um, as well as encourage me in this idea of, man, I was pursuing Jesus uh, very, very hard in that season. And um, one of the passages was 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. God's grace, he just got done talking about being a persecutor of the church. And he said, it's God's grace that I am who I am that I've done. He covers me, he is gracious to me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. He didn't give me grace just to squander it. It's not in vain. But I worked harder than any of these, talking about the apostles. I worked harder than any of these. And it was not I, but the grace of God in me. What does Paul say? I got to work. 
hard. But it was the grace of God in me. I don't get credit. God gets the credit. He gave me that very desire. So being rooted and built up in Christ means we pursue Jesus. Jesus talks about it like this. Ask. Seek. Knock. What are the, all of those are, are those nouns? Those are verbs, right? Ask, seek, and knock. Those are, those are action words. Jesus says that we are to pursue him. Second thing, testing, okay? How do we know that we're equipped or maturing in our faith? We are tested. We are tested. In Colossians, he goes on to talk about these plausible arguments that, um, that the church is experiencing that is persuading them away from Christ. And I think this is a really interesting reality as he centers on them, centers them in Jesus of receiving Christ, walk in Christ, be built up in Christ. If you have your Bible, it's not on the screen, but if you have a Bible, look at verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What is Paul saying? He's basically saying, hey, there's gonna be philosophies, there's gonna be arguments, there's gonna be ways of thinking that are not of Christ, that are elemental. Are the elements good? Yeah. Does Christ hold them together? Absolutely. But they, but they turn our eyes from Jesus. They, they make us question his word. They make us question his authority, his action in the earth. Are those bad things? Uh, not necessarily. Philosophy is good. But when it's not submitted to Jesus, it's evil. It's idolatry. And so he says, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested in your faith. And, so, and sometimes it looks like knowledge. Sometimes it looks like doctrines and things that we've wrestled with and things that we've maybe seen done poorly in the church. For me, it was a character issue with the, the church of I had pastors and leaders who I did not respect, who did not, I would say still to this day, did not walk with Jesus. And I really wrestled with that. Of how could you lead a church and not, uh, that's in God's hands. I, I trust him with that. But that's what it was for me. It was, it was a character thing in the church. Man, I really was tested in my faith. Do I wanna be a part of a community that's not really true in its following of Jesus? ideally in my mind as I had it. Some of us, it's doctrine. Some of it's knowledge. Some of us, it's our own personal experience. One of, one of the testing that we experienced was uh, the, the intense sickness of our firstborn, of Judah. Man, he was really, really, really sick. And there was a health issue concern involved, and there was a lot of fear, and there was a lot of worry, and there was a lot of, like, concern of, man, what are we going to do? And is he going to be okay? And what if this never gets fixed? And e even moving to Utah five, six years later, we were on the top of our list was, 
What's his health going to be like? Sometimes we're tested through those struggles. of being in a sinful world with a spouse or with the failure of those around us. Sometimes that testing burns away everything. And all we have left is Jesus, his word, his character, his truth. That's all we can stand on. If you haven't been tested like that, let me tell you, you will. If you're growing in Jesus, you will be tested. I don't say that to scare you. I say that to prepare you. I say that to prepare you. We just went through 1 Peter. 1 Peter says this, Do not be surprised, my brothers, when the fiery trial comes upon you to show the genuineness of your faith. It's not about the test. It's not about the trial. It's not about the thing. It's about the genuineness of following Christ in the midst of it. In 1 John chapter 4, John says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. In Hebrews chapter 5, we just looked at those who are immature, who don't have the knowledge of, or who, don't ha who are not skilled in the word of righteousness. He follows it up with this verse. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What do we see in this? That it takes distinguishing and testing constantly to, to discern good from evil. Does that come overnight? <laughs> no. One of the things that if, if you know me well, one of the things that you know that I love to do is I love to like literally wrestle. Whether you want to wrestle right here or wrestle philosophically or wrestle emotionally, whatever, whatever wrestling there is, I'm involved. And this is why. This is why. Because we learn the genuineness of our faith. We learn the beauty of Jesus. We learn the knowledge of the Son of God and are skilled in the word of righteousness in the midst of testing. If you haven't been tested, I pray that you will be. Because it reveals the goodness of Jesus. It gives you confidence that you stand upon Jesus. Practical question. Are you able to discern between good and evil? That discerning means that you have knowledge and understanding. Do you test somebody that doesn't know? No. But if you have knowledge, then are you putting it to work? Are you trying to distinguish, okay, this is good, ah, this is off, this is good, ah, this is good, this is good, no, no. And it takes time and practice. One of, one of my uh, pastors, my first mentor, I would say, was a guy named Doug Thompson. And um, I would go to his office 
several times a week and uh, just ask question after question after question about the Bible. I was 16 years old and the Lord transformed my life. I beheld the beauty of Jesus and I was just hungry. And in one of his sermons that has stuck with me from, you know, 15, 16 years ago, was he said, if you don't have your Bible, and if you're not following along with me in these verses, I don't care what I put on the screen, if you're not following along, then you might be led astray one day, because I might preach from the Book of Mormon, or I might change a verse. How are you going to know that? He was a really high-challenge guy, okay? I'm not saying that. I, I kind of have a problem with that. But my point was he was preparing people to be tested. Yeah? He was saying, own it. Be tested in it. Okay, third, community. What does it mean to be rooted and built up in Christ? It takes community. And community is one of those things that's really... Um, we like to talk about a lot in the church of just like, oh yeah, we're like all together in Jesus and it's great. And I put it in, in this section of receiving Christ, walking in Christ, rooted and built up in Christ because community is really, uh, how do I say, hard. Your faith is tested in community. And it's one of those things that, um, man, just is, is a struggle for us. It's a gift of God, but it roots us and it builds us up in Christ. And I'm going to go through these quickly. But First Thessalonians chapter 5 on, your, on the screen here says this. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Keep it up there. What is Paul saying? He's saying... A part of your maturing, a part of your equipping is, how do I live with others? How do I admonish those who are idle? How do I encourage those who are struggling? How do I help the weak? And how do I be patient with them all? How do I be patient? Practical question, do you know how to admonish someone in the faith? Someone who's maybe a little bit lazy or just kind of like, oh, I'm just kind of going with emotions and kind of, do you know how to admonish them to pursue Jesus? When someone is struggling, do you know how to encourage? This isn't written to pastors. This is written to a community. Do you know how to help those who are weak and struggling? Do you know how to help them? Encourage, not just encourage them, but root them in, in Scripture? And most of all, do you know how to be patient with each and every one? Practical. That's maturity. That's equipping. And so when we talk about community groups and we talk about equip groups and we talk about the Sunday gathering, it's not about just you receiving from the community. Part of your maturity, please hear me, please hear me. Part of your equipping and our training of you is you and your relationship with them, not just their relationship with you. How you respond, how you interact, that is a part of your maturing. Colossians 4, verse 12, if you, again, if you have your Bible, read this, it'll be on the screen. I want you, want you to hear this. Ever, anyone ever heard of Epaphras? 
Okay, me neither. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. No one knows who Epaphras is. But what is Epaphras doing? He is praying and seeking the maturity and the assurance of the community in Colossae, okay? That's maturity. That's equipping. Your faith is not just about you and Jesus. Your faith is not just about you and Jesus and how you can be encouraged by others. It's about you praying for the community. This is why membership is so crucial. It's not just the elders and the pastors praying for you. Are you praying for the church? Are you praying for those in your community group? That would be a huge, if we did that as our action step in this, if there's one thing that we maybe, thank you, Lord, that we want to walk away with, I want you to pray for our church. Pray by name for the people in our church. We receive Christ, we walk in Christ, we're rooted and built up in Christ, and we're established in the faith. We don't become established in the faith until we're tested, until we, we behold the beauty of Jesus, until we wrestle in community. But this is where Paul leads in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Rooted and built up in Christ, established in the faith just as you were taught, established grounded in the faith. The way that the Bible talks about this overall is the, the, the phrase full assurance of faith. And again, this brings up the idea that, it, well, when somebody receives Christ, shouldn't they have full assurance? Yes. But the, the, the Christian life is one of perseverance. The Christian life is one of growth. And if you're not growing, I would ask, do you have assurance? Scripturally, no. And that's not saying that Jesus' work is any less, any less. But the fruit of Jesus' work in someone's life is their growth. As we saw from Philippians 2 and 1 Corinthians 15. It's the grace of God in them. In Colossians 2, verse 5, Paul says this. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Here's where the rubber meets the road in full assurance and firmness in Christ. You don't know you're firm in Christ until you're through the testing until you experience the fruit of work. You, you may be sitting there and be like, man, I'm firm in Christ. I'm full of assurance. And I'm like, great, yes, praise be to God. But we're going to be tested again. Am I going to be firm through that? Lord, have mercy, I hope so. That's where it's not about your faith, it's about Christ's purchase. Those whom God justified, he also glorified. Those whom God foreknew and predestined, he also called 
and he justified them, and he's going to bring them into glory. But it's a process for us on earth. Last thing is abounding in thanksgiving, Colossians 2, 7. When you were established in the faith, just as you were taught, you abound in thanksgiving. And this is, uh, this is the crux for me, where we go back to the basics. I've laid this out to say there's kind of this building, you know, stairway. Lord have mercy on my soul for even saying that in our context. Um, but the, the intention of me saying this is, when we receive Christ, we are full of thanksgiving. When we learn to walk and you have the joy of like, like I'm so full of confidence, I'm, I'm running. When you build something and it's rooted, like dude, yes, thank you, Lord. There is abounding in thanksgiving. But you and I all know people who have been walking with Jesus longer than the median age in this room. And some of them are not abounding in thanksgiving. Why? When you get old, I, I, I don't really have the authority to say this, but upon God's mercy, I do. It's hard. It, you're tested in ways that you never thought you would ever be, be tested. It's just like everything is a test. That's why it's like, you changed the stinking, like, color of the tablecloth. How dare you? It's like everything's a test, okay? It, honestly, it's hard. My grandfather, who passed away last year, and, my, and now my dad, who's in his late 70s, both say all the time, getting old is not for the faint of heart. My whole point in saying all this is that it's about abounding in thanksgiving. Are you thankful not just, man, I'm thankful for the wind, I'm thankful for the trees, I'm thankful for cool air. Are you thankful for Jesus? I can't say any more. Had a phone call yesterday that was challenging in, in many respects. It was really, really, the, the, the emotion that I got off the phone with was grief, just really sad. I can't explain why, I, I'm still processing through a lot of it. Laying my head to bed, Lord, I trust you. Let me abound in thanksgiving. Waking up this morning, Lord, I trust you. Let me be thankful. Are you someone who abounds in thanksgiving? I'll end with this, and the worship team, you can come on up. Um, I was reading in Second Chronicles this week, and Second uh, Chronicles is a pretty dry book in the beginning, if you've ever read it. It's a lot of names. And... Um, Solomon was dedicating the temple. And he said this in 2 Chronicles 5, verse 13, for 
God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. So he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. That's repeated all through the Psalms, all through the Old Testament. It's repeated in, 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 in the New Testament letters, not word for word verbatim, but that idea of, man, we receive Christ, we walk in Christ, we root, are rooted and built up in Christ, we are established in Christ, and we abound in thanksgiving because God in his favor is good. And his steadfast love never fails. Not because of my work, but because of God's work in Christ and giving us his righteousness. So where are you? Where are you in your journey of maturing and equipping? What do you need to be equipped in? Are you being tested? Work? Knowledge? Virtue? What is it that God is planting in you so that you may say, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are kind to us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you work in us the perseverance of your people. Lord, grant us mercy as your church, we want to behold your face, Jesus. We ask for our eyes to be opened to your beauty, Jesus, that we would behold your salvation, your death, burial, and resurrection, your, your resurrection power, your healing power, your redemptive power in our bodies and our relationships and our world. Pray the, for the Holy Spirit fire that would consume us into mission, declaring your truth to the world. Have your way among us. We submit to you, O Lord Christ. Amen.